right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week of the Funny Girl podcast. We're very excited this week because we have a special guest. His name is Luke Tuma. And welcome, Luke. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. I am so happy that we're doing this together. We obviously go way back. We literally both went to Syracuse together. When I started the podcast, I had it with Helena, and she and I both went to Syracuse together and both went to the same high school. So we were like, let's just keep this very generic New York basic bitch train going and just kind of keep it up. So it's so crazy like knowing you from like freshman year in the dorms to me now interviewing you. I went to Syracuse for one year, but we were friends in the short year that I went there. I know. It's so crazy. Because where did you end up? When you left Syracuse, where did you go again after? Did you just go back into New York or where were you? I transferred to Emerson in Boston, which is where I started stand-up. And then I ended up dropping out of there because I was like making some money doing stand-up. So I was like, fuck this. (laughs) I stopped going to class. But uh, yeah, yeah, I went to Syracuse for a year before that. So that kind of leads me into my first question regarding stand up and just kind of comedy as a whole. When did you know that you wanted to be a comedian? Was it something that you knew your whole life or was it just something like that slowly over time? You're like, I think I'm actually fucking funny. Let's try this out. No, nah, it was uh, it sounds like uh, corny, but like since I was like 10, uh, I was just chubby and funny. That's what how I made friends and <laughs> like talk to girls the rare time I was able to talk to some girls and uh it was just what I was good at I wasn't really good at anything else so I was like yeah this is like all I really want to do you're like I'll use my personality because the looks are not working out in my favor right now <laughs> yeah 100 yeah that's honestly what I was uh, at too when I was younger I was like well let's just try this bang in personality because people won't talk to me otherwise yeah for sure it's definitely like yeah it was kind of like how I uh approached everything it was like how I interface of the world like if I wanted to be friends with someone or like if I was nervous and felt like out of place or whatever I could just be funny and then it would be easier to make friends or hang out with who I wanted to hang out with or go to a party I wanted to go to or talk to a girl like like if I was you know if I was nervous if I felt out of place if I felt like I was in a new place like it, it was the easiest way to just do just whatever I wanted basically so then when did you kind of want to because I know you just said when you were in Emerson you start obviously we're doing stand-up like either out of Syracuse or in Syracuse, but when did you kind of want to start thinking like, oh, I actually could potentially make a career out of this? I started, well, I, I could have just done stand up in Buffalo, but I, that's where I grew up, but I didn't know that like you could just do it wherever you lived, which is, you could do, you could go to like, an open, there's a, a little open mic in every little shitty town in the country. Like, yeah. Anyone in any town could do stand up if they wanted to, but I had it in my head, like you have to go to a big city and to me, Boston was a big city. And I just knew a lot of comedians that I liked, like were born and raised there and started in Boston. It was like a comedy town. So, I mean, honestly, like I told my parents, I was like, oh, they have a better program here, more for what I wanted to do. And it was like a good school. My grades at Syracuse were all right. So I was able to transfer. But in the back of my head, I kind of knew that's like all I really wanted. So you kind of were telling yourself like, okay, the only way I can actually pursue comedy is if I go to a huge city, because I think that's a huge stigma with a lot of people that are trying to start out. Like if they're not in an area where there's like a laugh factory or something, they can't try to like move their way up. And that's the good thing about a place like New York or a place like Los Angeles. I feel like there's so many people that are trying or like on different levels of, you know, like pursuing comedy whatever that looks like to a person because some people are just happy in a sketch group and that's all that they want to do forever some people are like no let's like one man show this bitch and just like try that out so it's cool to see you knew earlier on that it's a little bit of trial and error you're like I could have done this wherever so that's a big kind of piece of advice I think for some comedians that it's like it doesn't really matter where you are if you literally google open mic near me there is an open mic near you pretty much all over the world so that makes sense yeah and I'm just I'm glad I started in Boston. I think like even compared to New York and LA, Boston is kind of like a small town. It's like a small scene, but I think it's a lot easier to start succeeding in New York and LA if you started in a smaller city. The guys that start in like Los Angeles, I think that's kind of brutal. And for most of those guys, it's a pretty rough, long road where like starting in Boston, I could get like, there was a lot of stage time and not that many comedians. And frankly, the bar was lower. So like, to be one of the best yeah. comedians in the street, you didn't have to be that good. Like, <laughs> uh, I was like a, one of the better guys and it wasn't that hard. Whereas I think like the best guys in Los Angeles 
like, you know, if you were coming up in LA, like the best guy in Los Angeles is like Joey Diaz or like, like Sebastian, like those are the best guys in the city. That's, that seems like it, like an insurmountable mountain to climb, you know, to be like, Oh, trying to be like one of the best guys like in the city at this thing and being like, well, who's the best guy at it? And then be like, Oh, Bill Burr. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've never thought of it like that at all. Like you're just like, because it, it depends on proximity and where you are. If you're trying to like get up there, if you're, it's like, it's like a group of 50 really good people versus a group of like five to 10 really good people. And it's also depends on, you know, comedy to people's objective. Some people find some shit hilarious that other people they're like, I would rather listen to someone like scratch nails on a chalkboard than listen to this person do stand up for five minutes. A hundred percent. And it's like, it was a lot easier to be like, all right, I want to be the best guy, like best like comedian in this city. Like that's my goal. And then like looking around Boston and well, who are the best guys in this city? And it's like, they were funny comedians, but it's also like, they're just some guys that nobody knows. So it feels like a much more achievable goal. And then I think also like when you start in a smaller city, like a Boston or a Denver, or even like, you know, I was living in Florida for a while. Like I knew some really funny comics out there. Like one of my buddies, my buddy, Christoph just moved to New York, but he's doing well because like the big headliners in New York, they do the road every weekend. And if they come through Chicago or Boston or Orlando, Florida, and you crush for a weekend opening them because opening for them, because you're just like a good comic who knows how to be a good feature act. Like they're going to be impressed by that. You know, they spend all their time on the road. So also when you spend a weekend with a headliner, like there's six shows over the course of three, sometimes four nights. And most of it is downtime. And then they usually want to like go get food or like drinks after the show. So you end. So you can like build a relationship with them on top of just. Yeah. You hang with these guys for like 40 hours over the course of a weekend. And if you're cool and they saw you have a great set on stage, like they're going to, it's going to naturally develop a relationship and they're going to remember you. So I think it's a lot easier. Rather than like when the guys who started in New York, I know guys that like succeeded and they started in New York. But I think for a lot of dudes, like they just start doing these shitty open mics and they have no idea how to perform in front of crowds. And like they have no accessibility to the bigger comics in the city because the big comics are at like the cellar and the stand in New York Comedy Club. Right. They're just doing these like open mics in the Lower East Side for like seven comics in a, in a basement. So it's like it's actually <laughs> weirdly easier to access bigger comedians if you start in a smaller city. That's interesting. That's a really interesting way. I feel like there's such a stigma that that it would be the opposite and like you'd have more opportunity in a place like being in a generic place like New York or LA when realistically it's just if you hustle and know where to go and what to do, you can meet anyone. So yeah, so you felt like, because I guess one of my other questions that I was leading into was, did you want to stay in New York to pursue comedy or was that not really, because obviously you were in Boston but now you're living in New York and I know you also had a stint in Florida. Like what was kind of attracting you to go to different places in terms of comedy? Was it just like where you were at and kind of taking the next step or more just like, I just want to reach new places. Uh, the Florida thing was like a pandemic move because I was hosting a man on the street show and it was the only place open. And it was kind of also like a travel based, like slice of life, like touring America show. So like the only right. places to tour in America were like Florida and Texas. So I moved down there and my girlfriend got a job. It was kind of like, I knew we, I think, you know, we knew it would be a short-term thing and it was, um, but moving to New York. Yeah. You just see the ceiling in a city like Boston and you're like, well, you know, I don't know. Like it's just, <laughs> I could be one of these guys, but it's like, you know, I started really young for comedy. I started at 19. I think most guys usually start probably, I would guess, like a little after college. Like I think the average age a guy would probably start in comedy or a person would start would be like 23, 24, 25. I started at 19. Okay, so, oh, I didn't realize you were 19. Yeah, wow. I was young. So like, uh, I think by the time I had already been three years into comedy and like knew what I was doing on stage and had met a lot of people from like New York and LA, I was only 22. So I was like, well, the big guys in this like city, they do make a good living, but it was like they like tour colleges and they do private fundraiser gigs that pay well for like a, a bunch of soccer moms and they do like VFWs and like, you know, corporate things and like they do like these road clubs where they like go headline a bunch of funny bones or whatever. Like, you know, it's right. kind of like and I think that's a good career. I'm not knocking that at all, but I think at twenty two I was like well, not like going right for that right away. You know, I was like, I, I want to try to like make a career out of this. And I think I was like, I had the aware, self-awareness that I was like, I'm young enough to go to New York. And I, I obviously knew the ceiling was way higher there. But I was also like, I'm young enough to go to New York. And like, if 
this completely sucks for like six or seven years, I'm still in my twenties. Like it wouldn't be a big deal. Like it, yeah, it just felt like a kind of natural move. That's a great mentality. That's a great mentality to have. I think a lot of people try to plan their whole like trajectory and then it intimidates them and then they don't end up doing like, it's like a little bit of just taking it day by day or week by week and being realistic about like how much time you actually have. Because some people just get very in their own way. And like, I know, like I can speak for myself. There's sometimes when it comes to like planning different things, even starting the podcast, I was like, okay, is this actually something that I can be successful in? Like whatever that even means, like, cause podcast is such a diluted area, similar to like being a comic in New York or something like that. But yeah. at the same time, yeah. it's like, you don't even know if you don't try. So you might as well just go out there and just do the damn thing and like actually fucking push and do it. Yeah. And at the risk of sounding like corny and like one of, like one of those motivational guys, like if you don't think you can be at the high level of doing anything, like do if you don't if you don't approach something thinking you could do it at the highest level, like why would you even approach it in the first place? You know, what right? I mean? I mean, it's true. Just, we got Gary V. We got Gary V. in the room. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's stand up is competitive. <laughs> if I did stand up and I was like, yeah, this is probably not going to work out. It's like I might as well just go get a fucking marketing job or something like yeah there's no point in trying something that's like you know this historically difficult to do well in comedy and entertainment and social media and all this stuff yeah. if you're not like gonna be like all right well i think i'm gonna be able to do it you know just like step one's actually believing yourself if you want other like people are gonna be able to see what you're putting off and if you're not absolutely confident in it or at least like trying it's just gonna be a little bit like okay well this guy doesn't even yeah. seem like he's super sure what he's doing in the first place there's a lot of confident talented people that don't succeed so if you're not gonna be confident at all like you're fucked <laughs> you know what i mean yeah <laughs> <laughs> like there are people who have talent and they're confident and they worked pretty hard and it just didn't pan out so like if you're going in without like you know the belief that it could work out like ah, you're gonna be fucked because there's yeah, yeah there's that's true tens of thousands of people doing this thing that think it's gonna work out for them yeah yeah no it's true it's very very true um, and then that also honestly leads me to my next question, kind of in terms of like the early stages of comedy or now I, you started at 19. It's been a while at this point since you've done like I'd imagine your first set. Do did you take any specific like classes or workshops or like have any mentors or anything? Or was it a little bit just like self-taught? You kind of just like went out there and trial and error, because I know a lot of different comedians have different like recipes for what works and doesn't work for them or ways that they've like been able to like polish their skill if you will you know what i mean like yeah. what was kind of your step by step to get you to a point that you are because obviously like you're a successful comedian like you definitely have hit the point where i feel like there's so much movement happening for you and i think like compared to when you were like 19 and a half you know yeah. what i mean you're probably at a very different phase in your life than you were so like how did you kind of get to this point i definitely uh never took a class or any of those type of things like i've never done that i don't I don't know what a stand-up class would be like. I'm, I, that's kind of wild to me that that even exists because it just like seems a little counterintuitive to just going up there and fucking starting to try to do it. But I'm not knocking anybody that does it. If you're brand new, you don't know any better. But like, well, everyone's because it works for some. Like, I, I even joke about it. Like when I went to my first open mic a year ago in terms of doing comedy, I went with a friend. And they had their jokes like completely written out with like the punchline and all this stuff. And for me, I literally had a bullet point of like five words and I just riffed off of it. And I was like, I'm just going to hope it's funny and recorded. And if it is great. And if it's not, I'm never doing it again. So like, it's not knocking anyone. It's just people like apples to oranges. So some people, it really works for them to do the classes and other people are like apt. I'd rather literally jump off. <laughs> yeah. I'm also like standup is just kind of being yourself. So like, I, I can't see someone teaching you how to do that. You know, I think that's something you got to kind of figure out on your own, but I definitely never took any classes, but for the mentor thing, I think like, yeah, especially when I first started, I was young. So there were older guys like, and they would give advice and some of it was really good advice. Some of it was really shitty, but I also think like just the fact that they were like grown men who like knew what stand up is and like how it gets done, even if they, not right. all of them were like the greatest comics, like, I do think it definitely helped me just kind of keep pursuing it. It gives you a little guidance. You know, you need those like old heads that help you out. So, yeah. I think yeah. And it's also like there's just even if you're not even if they're not like 
you know, maybe they don't have the same humor that you have, or they're not like exactly where your goal is or where you'd want to be. The fact that they have more years under their belt, that's all that really matters. Cause they regardless know more than we do. You know what I mean? Like at that point, if they've been doing it for like, even me, like I'm like a baby comic, like it's like, yeah. I've barely done it like uh, that much, but it's like then talking to even someone like you, like you've got on stage like a literally a million more times than I have. And it's just like, even if we have different styles, like I would just like know to go to you to ask for advice versus someone who's like at the same phase as I am. You know yeah. what I mean? Even if we're like at different points in our career. Yeah, for sure. And I think those are like, I always, now that I've been doing it for a while, like if I meet a newer comic, like I met this kid in Orlando who's been doing it for like a year and a half and he's unbelievably funny. And I brought him up here and like, he came up here and I got him like spots at the clubs and stuff. And uh, nice. I, I like, like, cause I remember like the older guys who were really nice to me, like that's the best. Like if you see, like I was definitely like when I was kind of newer in, I definitely was able to have some good sets. You know, it was obviously way worse than like it, like it, it my comedy is now, which is probably way worse than it'll be <laughs> in 12 years. But like, you yeah. think like the fact that I was able to like have good sets and then, those older guys saw it and were nice and like really helpful. Like that's the best, you know, because like some older dudes can be kind of like, I think in any, like, uh, in any career, any people career, do yeah. that. I feel like if you see a young person that's doing really well quickly, like I think some people it kind of like, it turns them off and it bothers them and it's like intimidating. But I think like there were definitely guys that like saw, I was like pretty good at it and were awesome. So that, that like really helped. Cause like it's encouragement, you know? And I think when you're young, like, even if you're, like, good at it quickly, you're still going to bomb a lot, you know? So, like, the fact that they gave – like, if an older guy gives you props on a good set, I think it helps carry you through the bad sets because you remember, like, oh, this guy's been doing this for a while, and he said I'm good for these. Right, right. gave me this advice to help me maybe have good sets more often and stuff. No, I'm just curious because the in, ter in terms of bombing, I just thought I'd ask, like, do you have, like, specific memories or, like, situations that you bombed that were, like, I don't think I'll ever do comedy again? Or is it just, like, a Tuesday? Like, it happens all the time. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like – because, like, I had a situation where I bombed really bad, like, a year ago, and it still haunts me to this day because, like, even the audience's reaction was, like, cringe, and I was, like, I want to be invisible right now. <laughs> so, like <laughs> – I just didn't know if you had kind of experiences like that because I think it deters people but you just said it best like the good when people tell you that you did a good job or people that are actually good at what they do telling you you do a good job it'll carry you through when you fucking suck I mean, <laughs> so I just thought I'd ask I definitely had some brutal bombs but I don't think it ever I never was like I'm gonna stop doing this that like it didn't even cross my mind like it was almost as if it didn't exist as an option I think that's part of like starting that young but I mean, I definitely true. That's like, true. Just brutal. Just I've just got my shit kicked in, like for sure. And like, yeah, especially when you're younger, it's you're like, woo, like, God, that fucking hurt. That was so rough. You like walk off stage like that was literally a metaphorical beating. Like I do not want, and it's also like you're in front of a room of people. Because when I tell people I do, I like do open mics. They're like even doing just one open mic, they're like, oh my God, I could never, like, it's so impressive. And I'm like, yeah, well, imagine also sucking at it or bombing or like people physically in the room, like you seeing their faces in the smaller open mics where they're like, damn, dude, this sucked. <laughs> You're like, this is not fun. Yeah. And it's kind of a thing where like when you first start to, you do these open mics and it's all comedians in the room. And when you bomb, you're like, oh, they, the comedian saw me bomb. Like, what if they don't think I'm funny, blah, blah, blah. And then as you do it more, like you realize like they've all bombed. It's not that big of a deal. Who cares? They probably can tell you're super new. It's just like, people right. don't give a shit. Whereas like the worst bombs I've had were like, I, I was really, I started young and I also looked young and I dressed really young, like just stupid, like graphic tees and like shitty jeans that didn't fit right. And like a dirty pair of like <laughs> vans. Like I just looked like a child. And I remember like, this guy was like a really nicer, like a nice guy who headlined in Boston and he brought me to open for him a lot. And he brought me to open for him at this club that's like in Gillette Stadium in uh, Foxborough, Massachusetts. And it was sold okay. out. But the average age of the audience was like 64 years old. And I was literally 20. And I looked like <laughs> 17 and kind of acted that age. Like I was just very, like I was not a mature 20 year old. So like, I just was, we like self-awareness at least yeah and I'm talking about like jerking off and they like 
definitely are seeing their son in me and they're like, I don't want to hear this young boy talk about his penis. Like this is disgusting <laughs> like, and it makes me uncomfortable. Like it was just like bad. And I just bombed so badly, but it's like bombing at an open mic is one thing. It's a whole different ball game to bomb for like 15 minutes in front of a crowd of like 150 people that all like got babysitters and parking and like paid and are like eating dinner and drink. Like this is their Saturday night out and it's like wall to wall packed. And you just like, what you bomb for 15 minutes. Like it's <laughs> you're like in the middle of bombing. You're like, I'm bombing right now, but I have to keep ratting this wave and keep doing this. Thing. Yeah. There's like no excuse too. Cause at least at an open mic, you're like, this mic sucks. Like Jesus. It's like, seven comedians just sitting here drinking pbr like it's really not a conducive <laughs> environment to being funny but when it's like 150 people in a sold out room you can't be like this place sucks it's like it doesn't really suck but you suck <laughs> like, it's like it's, it's like okay it is me i am the problem 100 percent. did like, you oh, yeah when you walked off stage that day, like, how were you kind of feeling? Were you like, because you seem like you're really good with, like, you're obviously resilient. I think you need to be in this kind of field. But how did you feel walking off stage after that? Because to your point, that's a, that's like an open mic versus an actual show. I mean, it definitely, it definitely felt really bad. But also, I think, like, the headliner and the other opener were my friends. And the other opener was, like, my really good friend. And they were both a lot older than me. And they could tell why I was bombing because it, it just like I looked so young in a very old room and like they just started busting my balls but not in a mean way just in like that's how I grew up in Buffalo with my friends like we just make fun of each other so that actually made me feel more comfortable instead of because you're like okay this isn't that bad also that's just every guy ever in general yeah they just are like yeah dude you suck <laughs> and it's like all right I guess you're like yeah like dude uh the the fucking the waits the waitress in the back told me she felt bad for you, dude. Like literally like stuff like that. Like that actually made me feel more comfortable. It would have sucked way worse if I got off and they were like trying not to talk to me and like freezing up. Like I'd rather you just shit on me and I could just deal with it. And then like that makes that made it a lot easier to deal with. So I don't know. But I've also feel like I've bombed a bunch of times in different scenarios. It's like you kind of get over every one of them. I think it's just kind of like similar to the more um, shows and open mics and things that you do. Like it's a practicing a muscle. And if you stop practicing it, like you're going to get like, you know what I mean? Like weak, if you will. That's the same thing with kind of bombing. It's like you have to humble yourself and be realistic. Like you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And even for you, like you knew going into the show that this was like the tr like the group of people that you were about to be talking about your dick to were yeah. like your parents yeah, <laughs> and they're like okay and some people like it but other people it's just that's why you sometimes it's just like you need like there's so many people who will walk away from a show and be like that guy wasn't funny at all and then like 10 people later on the line are like that was the best show I've ever seen in my whole life yeah it's like you can't even there's no like you know there's no like formula i think you know, when it comes to that. you know it's kind of funny too is like when i lived in florida for that year and a half i would like headline clubs on the weekends and then some of the clubs would be just amazing like they were all actually pretty fun for the most part but like some of them would have like they'd be in a weird little town and the crowd would like skew older and i'd be doing like an hour and it would go great like it was awesome and then i remembered that bomb i had when i was younger and i was like damn i definitely look way older now like I've definitely they just they, they probably saw you walk on the stage with like your beer covered vans and your yeah. like crooked fucking like Metallica shirt or something or like a stupid drink like those shirts that have like beer pong on it yeah. and you're like like this guy's about to be no yeah an interesting it was like experience. it was like being in Florida and having those good sets it was mostly like nice in one way because I'm like oh yeah like I remember this feeling when I was so much younger and now I'm like a grown man with adult experiences and thoughts but then another part, of me was like, <laughs> another part of me was like yeah these old people like i don't look like some young kid like i like i definitely look way older than i used to look but I was like, the respect level has changed a little bit you're like okay i don't look like a frat kid right yeah, now. even yeah. though you never were technically a frat kid yeah but. for sure yeah that makes a lot more sense though. No, that's interesting. I know. Cause I asked, I get such different responses or reactions when I ask about people bombing. Like some people are kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Like I, it, like I can't remember a specific time that it happened, but it happens all the time. But to hear like an actual story that you remember, it sounds like it 
not to sound so dramatic and cliche, but I am dramatic. So nonetheless, it just being kind of like, okay, well, this did shape me a little. Like I actually, like it didn't affect you a lot, but you were even to remember like how people talk to you after you got off the stage. Do you know what I mean? Like those are the things that I think like really will help you like be like, okay, what next time can I do to just be a little bit more prepared? And if it's not wearing graphic tees and vans, maybe that's just, it's just that. So. Oh yeah. Every brutal bomb I've had is like a scar on my brain. <laughs> I can't believe like, <laughs> I can't believe there's people who like are like, I don't remember one specifically. I'm like, I remember them vividly. Like the bad, the worst, like you're like, I have nightmares. You wake up in the middle of the night, like it's like crying. You're like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I remember. Yeah. There was times where it's just like, that's what it is. And kind of another question I had that yet again, I feel like is a little bit similar, but a bit more specific. Um, when you started doing shows and clubs, obviously alcohol is involved in the audience's, um, you know, mood and vibe. Do you feel like hecklers are a situation that you deal with a lot? And how do you deal with hecklers? Because I've always been noticing like if someone has two shows, like an eight o'clock show and then a 10 o'clock show, the 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock show is like a literal free for all. Cause some people just get a little bit more boozy or they like go to a bar and then they come to the show after. And like, there's always like those classic like Becky's in the audience that are like, think you're just talking to them during the show. And you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I've seen in you're, you're really good with your crowd work. I've like obviously like stalked your Instagram since we've been friends at this point. It's been like years, but I feel like you're really good at like certain people. Like I know like that one drunk, the drunk guy who like talked about like the 405 or something. Yeah. Like you were like, what the fuck is happening? Like, do you feel like you enjoy having hecklers? Cause it adds like a little bit more of like a entertainment value or it kind of deters you and like gets you off track. I don't think I enjoy, I definitely don't prefer it, but there are times when you get heckled and then it, goes well and you're like that was actually fun that was a good moment like you don't want it to happen but uh there's different types of like heckles like uh first of all it's like yeah like a saturday the saturday 10 o'clock show if you're doing a weekend is the worst one because at least on friday these people have work on saturday they don't have work so a lot of them have been day drinking since like one one or two in the afternoon and then they show up at the show like nine or ten like eight or nine hours into drinking and they're just like wasted but the worst that heckles like that one that you reference like if someone like yells out like hey, like and then you just riff off of it and you kind of just fuck them up like you're a comedian who's not drunk hopefully and you have a microphone and yeah. a drunk non-comedian with no microphone like it's pretty easy to just like get a huge laugh off of that and riff off of it and make it fun for everybody and most hecklers right. like they're not like the worst people they're just kind of drunk so they'll kind of just leave you alone but like there's bat. there's ones that just frustrate you and there's no way to deal with like, well, like I got heckled the other night and the guy, it was just like a guy my age, like a bro-y dude. And like, he thought you could tell he wants to do comedy, but he doesn't. So he kept like, I, he said something stupid. I made fun of him. It got a big laugh. I'm trying to go on. He says another thing. I make fun of him again. It gets a laugh, but people are kind of sick of it. And then like, he did it like six more times. I'm like, dude, it, this is over like and and yeah it's like you're beating a dead horse at this point also like just go do it go do an open mic yourself if you need to get out this outlet that you're trying to make people around you laugh yeah those guys <laughs> kind of ruin the show in a bit like maybe not completely kill it but the problem is it like what needs to be said is you need to go hey man shut the fuck up like this is not how this works like you can't right and like because there's no good heckler but there's no. at least like levels of bad hecklers when they <laughs> up and they just either make noises like they keep making a noise or they're too drunk and they just keep going and they keep doing it like there needs to be some type of written agreement where like if by you shouldn't heckle but if you heckle and the comedian makes you look stupid and it gets a laugh then stop heckling but if they don't have the self-awareness that they look stupid then they just keep doing it. And yeah. it's so hard to get the crowd on your side. Like what needs to be said is you need to tell them to shut the fuck up. But if you say that 98% of the time, the crowd tenses up because it's uncomfortable for them. And well, yeah. Cause then they think they might think like if, cause there's also a balance of if you're like, Oh dude, shut the fuck up. Versus if you're like, seriously, shut the fuck up. Let me yeah. continue with my thing. It breaks almost like your character. Yeah. That you're like this like chill comedian or you know what I mean? That you're like going with the flow. It's kind of like, oh wait, no, he's actually kind of an asshole. Like there or you know what I mean? Like there's not a lot as 
you're not getting as much credit as like this random drunk guy named like Kyle who's just sitting in the back seat at like a 10 p.m. show on a Saturday. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of guys who go who jump to that way too quickly. Like I don't say shut up unless they're being like brutal, like they just won't stop. But right. I think there's guys who like as soon as they get heckled, they just start like shut up, dude. Like this is not about you or shut the fuck up. Like and then it's just like, well, that guy was like shouldn't have been heckling, but you're also like being unnecessarily harsh and right right and it's supposed to be like a happy environment (laughs) you're also a comedian like stop being such a pussy like at least attempt to deal with this in a funny way before you start like just going nuclear on them you know it's kind of yeah you're not really doing your job if as soon as you reach like if as soon as you are faced with the obstacle of someone yelling some dumb shit out you like don't even attempt to like do your job and make it funny, you know? I I don't really. Like yeah, that. that's true. That's, that's very true. Yeah, the heckler's still like being inappropriate, but I still I I I think it's just kind of like like shut up like immediately. You make the best of it, and then sometimes there's like you know there's been a lot of comedians that have been like kind of using TikTok as like another form of like posting some of their stuff. There's like one or two comedians where this one person I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head, but he'll literally like. Oh, I think it's Namesh, Namesh Patel. He, um, he basically will use, like, hecklers will say shit, and it, literally it'll be just by, like, sounding drunk or stupid, and it, obviously that's not a part of his set at all. All of a sudden it makes the content, like, ten times funnier because of, like, the natural react like his natural personality comes out and like i feel like that's similar to you like when that will happen where you're like i'm just gonna talk to him like man to man right now and just be like i'm not enjoying that you're doing this but you are at least making you're adding some value here because everyone else agrees with me that you look like an absolute dipshit yeah, you know what sure. i mean like you, yeah. you're not on the mesh is great I, um but that, yeah yeah for sure like i yeah you you gotta like deal with it in a funny way at first i think and then if they're unrelentingly annoying then i think tell them to just like please stop (laughs) but like i think i wonder if like we're allowed to have air horns because once i get to a place where hopefully people pay me to actually perform lol i think i would just blow an air horn anytime (laughs) someone starts and then because it's such a jarring noise like no one's gonna do it you know what i mean like it's also like it's the equivalent of going to the bathroom when you're in the front row of a comedy show like it's just a big no-no and being late like you will get called out by the comedian statistically speaking like I think it's 90% of the time someone's like, fuck, I cannot be late to the show because all the best seats are taken and I'm going to get called out by the comic for being late. And it's like kind of like that similar thing, but people who are drunk just don't give a shit. Yeah, the day. for sure. Do you ever, do you ever like, I don't know if this is like a weird question to ask, but do you ever um, like drink or smoke or do any, have any vice when you're performing or is it more, cause I know some comics kind of will like bring a beer on stage or, you know what I mean? Things like that. Or is it kind of just depend on what your vibe is and what where you are? I do that sometimes. It does It does depend on my vibe and the, the environment. If it's like, I definitely never, I don't smoke at all. Uh, I don't like it. It makes me uh, filled with fear. So it doesn't, <laughs> I just like, it just fills me with fear, terror. So I don't do it. I smoke weed, fear, immediate fear. It's just, okay. it's just, well, that's good. So that's regardless, you're not doing that. So I would never, I don't do it in any setting ever, but I would definitely never do it before stand-up. Um, I'll have a drink or two, like a beer or something before. Sometimes if it's like a very roady room, like very like kind of wild, and everyone's like, hey, yeah. Like, you know, if you're in the South or like in kind of like a small town and they're like, you know, like, blue collar dudes and you could tell they're a little rowdy i'll bring a beer on stage it fits the environment i don't love bringing one on stage usually number one it's just another thing to make sure you like you can't knock it over i also like to sit on the stool sometimes especially if i'm doing a longer set like i'll go on and off of it so i don't like having the beer on the stool because then i'm like i have to move this thing out of the way and also like i do think it looks a little unprofessional like so if it's like a really good environment like if i was at a great club like the denver comedy works I personally don't think like I would want to just be like rolling up there with a beer. Like I'm fucking chilling right now. It's like, no, you're in a killer room. That's like set that was built specifically for standup to be done in its purest form. Like you should just be up there, like having a great hour set instead of like fucking, I'm fucking around. You know, it's like, do you're like prioritizing that. Yeah, exactly. I like to do it when it fits the environment, but like, 
Shane Gillis is like the best comedian on the planet right now. And he has a beer with him at every single moment he's on stage. So it's, it's kind of like, this is like what fits your shtick a little bit. Like some people it's like they'll walk on stage with like a vape or something because like, that's like their like type of comedy. Like they're like, yeah, dude, like this is my vibe yeah, or whatever yeah. it is. You know what I mean? Or kind of like, if it's like a chill girl vibe with like, just trying to seem like making fun of the fratty atmosphere, or just being like a 20 something year old, like all of us pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm all, yeah, I, I'm definitely not like a chill, a chill comic. I think I'm definitely like a bit of a performer in some of my, like, some of my like bits are like big parts in them. So I don't really think it would fit my vibe to be like, I'm just fucking hanging like sometimes, yeah, no. but it would, you know, it, it it's not really, yeah. I don't think it really fits my vibe to be like on stage, like fucking, you know, casually. <laughs> I'd be like, if I came and saw you and saw you doing that, I'd be like, okay, so there's been some changes since I've last seen him yeah, performing, I guess. I'm never like, <laughs> I'm just the fucking cool guy with the drink, you know, like that does work for some yeah. dudes. Like, but, uh, yeah, because just because you when you reference Shane, I know, um, obviously, you've spoken about him in the past, how like, you're a huge fan of his, like, I feel like he's someone that like, it, it's just not surprising to have like, a comic of that nature kind of doing it. Are there other who like, I forgot, I think I asked earlier, but who who do you have that are comics that inspire, either inspired you when you started out or that now do? I guess I don't know if there's like a ladder, like, people that you kind of like want to be similar to or like styles that you really like. Now I don't think there's anybody I want to be similar to because I know my voice, but like I, Shane's definitely up there for like, like he's a friend of mine. So it's weird even to say, but it's like, he's, his special is so good. I'm like, this shit's fantastic. You know, like, uh, so I think just watching his stand up makes me feel like, oh, this is great. I got to like make sure I'm always writing new stuff and, and that it's as good as it could be right. working on it. And that like, and like Nick Mullen too, he's like, he's like a, a, a guy who I like, I'll see his clips. I'm like, all this shit's hilarious. So I also think those guys, like my sense of humor, especially like if I'm hanging out with my friends, like I'm going to make fucked up jokes. Like some of them, not like, not edgelord stuff. Where I'm like, yeah, but it's like, there's going to be like <laughs> jokes about different races and jokes about women and like gay people and like whatever. And like stuff that like might be kind of subversive to some people. But I think that's just like how I always grew up joking around. And those guys like Shane and Nick, like, when you watch them, you're like, yeah, you can execute that type of humor and it can be like the best shit out right now in terms of stand-up. Like it really like those guys leave no excuse to not do whatever type of comedy you want, you know? Cause I think like, right. especially when Trump was president, it was like, you can't say this, you can't say that. And I think we were all kind of feeling that heat a little bit, but now it's like, no, you couldn't make a joke making fun, like that part of it pokes fun at Mexicans and you could not be Mexican. If it's executed well, in a way where the crowd right. was, you're not just trying to like be and some edge lord. Like you could, you could literally, you could be a white guy and be making a joke about Mexican people, and you could make a room full of white people and Mexican people laugh hysterically. And it's not like they know it's not like a malicious thing. It's like it's just your sensibility. So I think those guys are yeah. like those guys really like kind of destroy this idea of like you can't say anything anymore. It's like, dude, you can say whatever you want if you're good enough. Like, I don't, I really. And it's also just like when people go into a comedy show and then get offended, like, I think there's just balances. Like some people have their limits, you know, where they're yeah. like, this isn't funny to me. Like this offends me, but it's also, there's a little bit of like a all bets are off type of vibe when you walk to a comedy show. Cause you have to know like anything is on the table, you know? And it's kind of on you if you're take it personally or get offended. Like if there's something like I have my limits as like a, as a kind of um, like an audience member, but I also, I'm never going to be like, that's, that's like really fucked up. Yeah. Like you'll have like people who like, like get mad and it's a little bit like we're at a comedy show. Like we're not at like a press conference, like making jokes or jabs at certain types of people. And you're also making fun of yourself and a whole array of people. It's not just one group you're targeting. So I think for you like that, like, cause people will see it as being like, wow, this is a really problematic comedian. It's like, yeah. well, I mean, if that's how you view it, then just, you need to watch more like safe comedy or listen to more safe comedy. Yeah. Also, I think that's also like definitely lessened in the last years. Again, with like the Trump thing, like since I've been doing com like since like the pandemic ended, like, I don't really think you see, I don't, I don't see that much. I mean, I do like my favorite joke I do right now is like a two or three minute bit about love on the spectrum, which is a show about autistic people. And like, it's a great joke and the crowds always pretty much respond well to it. I, I don't really see that many people who are like, that's not cool. Like, 
I don't think that really happens much. I think if you're like specifically just trying to be offensive for the sake of it and you're kind of a shitty comic, then yeah, you might. Right. And just a bad person, realistically, in retrospect, if you're just like trying to shit on people or you don't have like a good, you just you don't have like a safe thing to talk about. Well, yeah. It's like you're just trying to be provocative. It's like, well, congrats. You provoked them. Now they're provoked. But if they could tell it's like a well-crafted bit and it like pushes the line, you can almost make the crowd laugh harder because you're making them laugh in a way that they don't usually get to laugh. So yeah, I, I definitely think like, I don't really run into too many like sensitive blah, blah, blah. That, that, I just don't think that's most crowds. Like, and you might have some people in the crowd not laughing, but the people that are laughing are like laughing hysterically if it's a great bit. And it's also like you need 100% right, right. of the crowd to laugh at every bit. If 85% of them are laughing, but you're crushing with those people, then the you know 15% that aren't loving that bit, it's just not for them. But I don't I don't think usually like people are like that's not cool like uh you know I, I no like, it's more I guess it's more like an indicator when you lose laughs right so like if you start a set and like everyone's like laughing so hard at a joke and then you like steer like a more quote risky route and like you can even be like okay lost some of you there but gonna keep going and kind of ride this out and see where like what people think yeah. you know because it's just like people can get offended and sensitive and this and that. It's just, it's more like if it's at the core, you're like a good person and like your intentions are clearly clear, then, you know, for sure. Hopefully all is well. And I think I do like, uh, at least for a white dude, I think I do like a fair amount of like racial humor. And I've never seen anybody be upset by it, like ever. And I, I think that's also like, it's people can tell your intentions, right? So like, I don't know. I always looked at like when people would be like such a, like punching down, like the phrase punching down. I'm like, I never really believed in that. Cause I'm like, well, I don't feel like I'm above anybody. So who's down? Like, it's just, we're all just, they're, they're, it's just other people. So like, if I'm yeah. making a joke about black dudes, I'm a white guy and they're black dudes. We're different because we're from different races, but I don't think there's like an up and a down. It's just like, you're different. And if you can point out those differences in a way that's not hacky and that it's funny and like in the context of like a well-written bit that's more specific, like I think people are going to be kind of down for that. Like you don't really, yeah, like I said, if it's if it's thoughtful and well-crafted, like, and people could tell like, yeah, I think that's kind of a weird, like, I don't know, white people get super fucking weird about race. You know, I feel like they invented that whole punching down thing. I'm like, that's a weird way to look at things where you're like, I can't make fun of these folks who are below me. It's like, whoa, dude, why? Nobody's below you're me. Like, you're like, even the way you're saying this is fucked up. Why are you dissecting this this much? It's like, they're just people. You know what I mean? You're fucking yeah. Asian and that guy's Latin and that's fine. And if you want to, talk about either race or their experiences i think that's fine and like like again like if you're not trying to be just intentionally provocative and offensive like it's probably mostly going to go over well you know yeah it's like if you're tasteful and like you said if it's thoughtful and kind of just yeah. crafted correctly i think you can go about it a certain way i think there's like a split with some comics where some people won't even touch upon that like some people won't even go there like some people won't even bring up politics at all yeah. in their comedy and i know obviously you have like from just clips that i've watched and even just stand up in general i know that like there's been like some obviously making fun of trump which you're um you're actually pretty good at thank imitating you. his voice I will say. thank you so just like things like that it's like some people could be like that's just like fucked up you know and yeah, it's kind of like yeah. you just you don't want to ever seem like you're swinging on one side and you're promoting and talking about politics. It's more just like, we're just all trying to sit here and have a good time and talk about the serious shit in a way that's not so serious. Yeah. I also think like, I also think the people on both like fringes are kind of just unfunny, humorless people. Like if you're like, if you're like, uh, you shouldn't punch down. That's not cool. Like you don't, you don't get to talk about that. Like then you're just probably not someone who understands humor or really does funny things with your friends because to me if you have friends like you could joke around about a lot of shit that's like kind of fucked up but if it's said in a funny way it, it makes it not really fucked up anymore and then also on the other side you get these guys who are like like these edgelord guys who are like you can't say anything anymore i'm like if you're just going on stage saying the most offensive thing you could think of because you're not good at writing jokes and then you're getting off and bitching that they got pissed off at you it's like if you were a better comedian, that's kind of where I see because like that's kind of where I like to be transparent. Like I think I get like 
irked by that type of person. Uh, it's like if the goal, because I can understand, but I think there are some times where I'll hear someone will get on stage and just is jabbing at people, and it almost feels like there's like a malicious intent behind it. And then if you get offended, it's like, well, fuck you. We're at a comedy show, and it's a little bit like, right? But I don't see where the comedic element is of some of the things you're saying. You're just like pointing people you know like that just goes back to just being good at yeah. being on the more risky side or talking about things people normally like would not talk about but doing it just simply tasteful like even like you you're like yeah if me and my friends joke about this stuff and you have like a group of friends that are yeah. you know from different backgrounds and things like that like that's one thing you know what i mean but if someone just comes on and it's just straight up mean and racist it's like what am what did i just spend money on to watch this show yeah, you know what i mean they're a shitty comic like that's real open mic shit like i don't know you can go to the cellar like you could go to the cellar and like Louis going to go up on stage. I mean, Louis's material is pushes every boundary there is, but it's, he's, you know, one of the greatest of all time. So like the crowd is loving it. He's doing great. The crowd is full of people of all different backgrounds. So it's like that, like going on stage and just saying offensive things that aren't really funny. It's, it's just like, I don't even know if those guys who do that are always just pieces of shit. I think a lot of times they're just really shitty comics <laughs> that are like, yeah and they just it's like maybe like a nervous energy like they're like okay this is where like I always kind of will joke about like certain guys that will just like talk about their dick for like a five to ten minute set because they don't know what else to talk about versus sure. talking about it and having actual substance do you know what I mean like I don't know I feel, I feel like you just like when girls like there's like a stigma with some bigger like female comedians that all they like will talk about is like sex and you know yeah. just like be like hooking up with guys and girls and blah 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 and it's just kind of like oh well they don't have anything else to talk about but it's like no there's just kind of a there can be a formula to doing that is maybe yeah I think like I, I I think like nothing is off limits but uh like in terms of like topic matter but I definitely look back at when I was like younger in comedy like I was talking about my dick a lot like there was like a lot (laughs) (laughs) there's phases there's phases to being a successful comedian phase one is just talking about your dick too much phase two is wearing vans starting to actually get correct I haven't done like a sex joke or a joke about my dick in so long and I feel like when I think back about like my material when I was like a year or two and I'm like why the hell was I but it's like it's because you you have no life experience and you don't know how to make like your perspective yeah. funny and it's easier to. That's like you go to a therapist. They're like, so it's been four months now since you've made your last dick joke. How are you feeling? You're like so much better. Like yeah. I'm in a really good place now. Like, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I get that. for sure. Like, and I think like, yeah, I think that the women talking about sex thing, like, I guess I get the criticism, but I also think like. you could. It's like a double standard too, to be honest, but that's a whole other. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if you come at that topic, like if you're like, like women comedians just want to talk about sex, it's like, well, if you're taking sex joke off, off sex jokes off the table, like you're gonna get rid of like a lot of my favorite, like Louis. <laughs> you know what I mean? A lot of my favorite. Jokes. Yeah, like some of my favorite Louis bits are just like vulgar and sexual. Some of my favorite Eddie Murphy bits are like, like Eddie, like his bits were vulgar and sexual all the time. So I think like. If you're taking that topic off the table, yeah. I'm like, you're going to kind of get rid of a lot of good shit, you know? So I guess I this was, was not one of my questions, but I kind of want to ask you about this because I am curious about your point of view because there are some things that we differ on, but it's like this is the whole point of why I do the podcast because I feel like I get to like learn about like the realistic perspective. What is your view on the whole um, separating the art from the artist thing? Because like I know you've referred to like Louis C.K. a few times. Obviously, he's a successful comic or like – there's just certain people out there like what do you what are your feelings toward comics that you kind of end up finding out for lack of a better term are not great people slashes kind of pieces of shit what? not specifically to louis but like when you hear controversial things happen with actors and like yeah. comedians like how do you go like how do you feel about that do you not care or do you well i guess it just depends in what context you're talking about separating the art from the artist so if like let look at like bill cosby a horrible person um if you're saying like I'm separating the art from the artist, I'm not going to buy tickets to a Bill Cosby show because he's a rapist. I'm like, yeah, hundred percent me either. Like I'm not taking my girlfriend to right. see fucking Bill Cosby. But if you're saying like Bill Cosby's a serial rapist, that's why he's not funny. I'm like, well, his himself, like Bill Cosby's himself, the special, like it's one of the best specials in the history of stand up. 
I mean, dude, he could have decapitated a person. It doesn't make it any less good. I'm sorry, but it's like, it's kind of like sports. Like, I, right. I guess it's unfortunate, okay. but like, I don't know. I It just kind of is what it is. If Tom Brady, like, stabbed a person to death, he would still have seven Super Bowls. It, you know, you don't have to buy his jersey, but it doesn't, like, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, so I get it from terms of, like, not wanting to support the person and, like, buy tickets or, like, buy merchandise or, like, watch their special like i get that like and i think number one that's everybody's prerogative and number two like totally makes sense if someone's a bad person and you don't want to support their work but i i, I think right. you can't you, it's just a little silly to pretend like they're not good at the art form it's like you know they are like i'm like it's just the whole like cancel culture type of thing you know what i mean like i think there's a huge like i i and i'm a huge huge fan of crystalia yeah i've loved crystalia for a very long time like he's someone that i think personally i find him to be like one of the best comics out there i think his stage presence and the way that he is able to talk about controversial things like there is just an art to it like i don't know but when all this stuff came out and he was basically canceled it was almost like I felt like I couldn't tell people that he was my favorite comic anymore. Like, I think it was like, people were like, you like, you're a young, like, you know, like you're like a 24, 25 year old female. You're saying that he's your favorite comic. Like something's wrong with that. And like just a few months ago, I went to the laugh factory and saw him with a group of my friends. And as expected, he fucking killed it. He was hilarious. Yeah. He also talked about, talked about being canceled. And he talked about like, he basically addressed the elephant in the room, which I found to be, kind of I felt like I almost could tell the audience kind of like chilled like everyone was seeing him clearly but it was also to even address what was going on like you know there's a spectrum with the whole cancel culture like there's like a Bill Cosby situation there's Chris D'Elia situation there's you know there's all there's just that culture now so I think yeah I just was kind of curious what your outlook was on it because I know some people have very polarizing opinions on um yeah if they should or should not I mean I think anybody that's giving you shit for what you like to watch as entertainment is like that's like an insane level of control to want to have over another person. <laughs> like for you, yeah. this is my favorite comedian. He makes me laugh really hard. And for them to be like, how dare you be entertained by that? It's like, well, like, you don't, that's like weirdly controlling, you know, you don't have to like it, yeah. but yeah, I don't, I don't really know the, the details of the Delia situation. He definitely like guy crushes on stage. So that's like, yeah. That's yeah. I mean, you could hate him or think he's a terrible person, but like, if you throw him up in a comedy club, he's probably going to rip the roof off the place. Like, that's just... A- yeah, like, he's just... Like, he's so, so good. It's whether he's you like so it or not. Good. I mean, I don't know what to... You know what I mean? Like... At the end of the day, it's an opinion. I just was curious, as an actual comic, like, being worried about cancel culture and things like that. Oh, like, no, I don't... I, think it's kind of- I don't think so. I think, like, um, I'm not worried about cancel culture because I'm, like, anybody that thinks I'm a bad person because of words I've said, like, I don't say anything in hate or malice. So I think, like anybody with half a brain can understand that. And if you don't, if you disagree, like I kind of think like you're not meant to be a fan of mine anyways, or work with me because that's a weird, you seem to be intentionally taking something out of context and trying to vilify me. And I know I'm not a bad person. And then the other stuff with the cancel culture is like, like sexual crimes, which I've done, never done. Well, that's what I was saying. I'm like, well, Luke, like if you pull that shit, I won't no, I'm kidding. I'm like, uh, no, I have a girlfriend. I'm faithful and I'm good to her. No. So I'm not worried about, I don't have some weird sexual skeleton in my closet, which like a lot of these dudes seem to have, <laughs> but you know, I don't know. That's, I would, sometimes I think that would suck. Like to have a weird sexual impulse. I don't, it's a whole different story, but no, I don't have any weird skeleton in my closet. So no, no. Oh my God. No. I mean, that wasn't even a question. I would have never, no. you're just, I know you <laughs> well enough to know that's not. Well, and like, look at Shane, like Shane, Shane, uh, he, just got a huge write-up in the new yorker it's like a very liberal publication and it was like extremely flattering like you know it was full of flattery and stuff and it's like yeah because shane didn't sexually assault someone he he said a bad word one time like that's a pretty human experience to say i remember when that all went down with the snl stuff that was kind of a crazy thing because like so many people obviously are huge fans of his and it was just crazy to see how that was such a type of you know thing but that's a separate thing. yeah that's a separate yeah i mean yeah like there's 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 degrees to cancel culture like there's a, a chasm of difference between Ke- kevin hart having tweets that didn't age well and like harvey weinstein being a literal rapist you know so there's yeah like that's what that's kind of what it is just the spectrum's insane sure. um and then just to 
quickly pivot to my next question because I know we want to talk about cancel culture for the whole entire time. <laughs> but one of my last questions, since we are kind of wrapping up, um, I know that in terms of like different comics kind of feel like they have like their moment, like their moments of success and things like that. I know you are obviously the face of excuse me what, and that was around in the pot, you know, around the time of the pandemic kind of wanted to just like quickly ask you about how you got to be the face of excuse me what, like what that whole situation was like to be a man doing man on the street interviews and kind of like how you just overall felt about the experience. It was awesome. Uh, it was sick. Yeah, it was great um i this digital media company said they wanted to start a man on the street show and i didn't know they were even a company and they had seen my stand-up so i did a few interviews and i guess like it was competitive between me and other people i didn't even know that and then they decided to pick me for it and then um i was like i posted clips and had some like successes like years ago posting stand-up clips but i didn't really know like the the like overhead these guys had and like their ability to get things out there so when they started like putting a promotional budget behind it, like it blew up and like I was getting DMS from like so many friends and family members and like you and like being like, I saw this. It's so funny. This is crazy. Like, so that was really cool. And I got to just shoot and edit. Like my friend shot the show. We would go out and interview people. I would do the interview and be funny the way I want to be funny. And then I'll just edit it on right. this laptop that I'm using right now. And then I would put it out. And sometimes like, like one of the episodes like on youtube like two and a half million people watched it and it's like a 10 minute long video and it was like sick and i still get recognized from that video so yeah it was really cool um i it was my first time getting recognized a lot on the street which was like an interesting experience uh oh god you're like yes it is i i am the guy who wears this, the what was it, like hawaiian shirt that yeah. you had always on and when I lived in Orlando, we would do a lot of them on downtown or in downtown Orlando. There's one little bar strip that gets insanely packed on the weekends, and we would get a lot of really funny interviews there. And it's uh, it's called Orange Ave. And I lived really close. My girlfriend and I lived like a couple blocks away. So if I walked out there on a just a Friday night because we wanted to go grab a drink, it would be right. like it was like I was like famous in this one little city in America. <laughs> such a wild feeling. Because it's not a big city and they don't have like a lot of YouTube. It's not like LA or New York. It's not like a lot of YouTubers right. and comedians. So like I would walk down the street in Orlando and they would just be like, I'd get recognized like, like 20 times in like an hour. It was crazy. It was cool. It was a really interesting experience. And I think like I had a lot of fun in that city and it was like, uh, it was cool. Everybody was nice. So it was like, uh, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was a. Uh, I like something to add to the resume too. That was a huge thing. I just remember I was like on Instagram and you know, I've obviously been in the comedy sphere since I moved out to LA like three and a half, four years ago, but just like to see your face, I was like, that's literally Luke. Yeah. I was like, dude, how did this happen? But yeah, I feel like that really helped you just in terms of just like the fact that there was kind of like a team behind you, you know, and you had like, there was like promo of your who you were specifically as a comic and then like being the face of excuse me what it kind of probably launched you and just even getting more followers at the bare minimum yeah like it was a probably a, a nice experience and now i produce a lot of like content shows for social now and i like i think being like the talent on that show like taught me how to hire people and like work as like either the talent or like a, in production of something like hire editors and like how thumbnails and like social media algorithms work. Like it was a good learning experience even outside just like the performing of the show. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I feel like that is just like, it's like all experience is good, whether it's bombing or being literally the face of a very successful web series. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah for sure. It's all, it's all, uh, it's all something to, you know, be learned from all. It's all that or it's all something to think about. Yeah, um, for sure. Well, yeah, but Thank you so much for coming on and letting me drill you with a million questions. This has honestly been very, like, I'm going to sound so cheesy, but like actually very educational for me. Like there's just been some kind of some perspectives you have and outlooks and even just like way of seeing things that I feel like I can kind of carry with me while I continue to try to get the shit going and, you know, yeah. not, not just like let fear override just like keep doing it even if I do well or don't do well so I really appreciate like a lot of the advice you have given me and I really enjoyed that we did this and honestly I would love to have you come back on the pod as many times as you want oh, so thank you thanks for having me see how that goes but um yeah so that is the end of this episode of the funny girl podcast with Luke 
if you guys, I will make sure to put all of his, you know, social media handles and all the promo stuff in my bio for my millions of followers, obviously. Um, if you guys, yeah, if you guys want to check him out, you absolutely should. And be sure to like, review, and subscribe, which you probably won't, but please do. And yeah, that is the end of the episode, guys. We will, I will be back next week. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Lou. Thank you. Thank you.